podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever. And on this episode, we are joined by uh, special effects god Sandy Calora. How's it going, man? It's going very well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, right before we hit record, Ryan and I were melting down because of all the movies that Sandy's worked on. Guyver, <laughs> Guyver, uh, too yeah, dark. There's hero. actually there's actually a couple on the list, uh, which which is pretty funny. Uh, you know, in a thirty year career, um, you know, you look back and it's just like, wow, you know, I. Uh, it's funny. I think I think you got it backwards. You know, you, special effects god. I think I think I think the words backwards. I think it's more special effects <laughs> all because um, uh, that's you know how you get treated. Uh, you know, by a lot of these filmmakers and so forth. But um, mm-hmm. uh, no, I'm 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 really happy to be here. I, I think what you guys are doing is really wonderful oh, and uh, super fun. And I'm I'm glad to be a part of it, and I'm I'm glad we we chose a movie that I absolutely love. So, uh, oh, yeah. this is- which especially because like Predator is one of those movies that like when I think of Predator, I think of the special effects and the monster makeup. Oh, it's groundbreaking! Just just a I, to this day, I will say I will go on record and say that that is still strict. You know, my opinion. I still think that is the best man in a suit effect ever done that like that is the best creature suit ever made and you worked on Guyver too by the way yeah i did i worked on the second Guyver film um i also worked on the second predator film briefly um yeah i worked on predator 2 as a designer in the very very beginning stages of that movie um and then due to some uh some political uh nonsense i was uh i was i unfortunately did not get to actually quote unquote work on the movie but i was commissioned by stan the late stan winston to do uh a weekend's worth of designs for that film um that uh subsequently wound up in uh, a little short film i made that had some predators in it um <laughs> but uh and then subsequently got made into toys by the wonderful people at NECA. So, oh, um, yeah. Did you guys know that? No, I I, I no didn't idea. know that your toy. <laughs> they're your toys. They, That's awesome. NECA toys uh, contacted me. Um, what is it? About three years ago now? Three four years ago? Maybe not. Maybe a little. Yeah, three years ago. Something like that. No, it doesn't matter. And they said. Um, Hey, you know, we'd like to make toys of all the predators from Dead End, you know, the big red, the wasp, the albino, uh, you know, because I was the guy that came up with all those ideas first, you know, make an albino, make, you know, put tattoos on them. And this was all stuff I designed for Predator 2. Um, and, you know, obviously it's, you know, I, I put them in Batman Dead End and then subsequently, Predators with tattoos and albino predators like showed up in some of the subsequent films and that kind of thing. But um, no, Randy uh, Falk at uh, NECA approached me and said, hey, you know, and I was just like, well, I mean, you know, you got I'm not the guy to ask, you know, you got to ask Fox. And he goes, well, we already did. And they said it was cool. So we just need your permission to make them and we're good to go. And I was like, well. Gee, guys, if you guys want to make, you know, full-blown, you know, action figures of some some Predators that were on screen for 15 seconds, uh, you know, have at it. (laughs) Uh, So that was kind of neat. That is neat. And especially, like, Predator uh, Predator 2, I always... um, 
specifically, I always think of that one shot of, uh, because I love um, sort of early, early 90s conceptions in movies. And I, I feel like you get this in Hellraiser 3 a little bit of like, what do we imagine a fancy but amoral rich person's house looks like? And it's always this big glass affair. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you've got the big skinned, you know, corpse dropping through the ceiling. And it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is a cool scene, uh, and uh, yeah, the uh, the quote unquote den of debauchery, I guess, right? Oh yeah, which I mean, like in my adult life, I always assumed like I would be going to way more clubs that featured, you know, some light bondage gear, some flame shooting out of things, like you know. I live in Los Angeles, so I figured like you know, there's got to be clubs like that, and I realized like, eh, not not so much. I live in Orange County, and there was a club in the 90s, in the early 2000s, uh, that they used to have at the Galaxy Theater every Friday night called Club Rubber. Oh, shit. Which, which, which would have been up your alley there, dude. It, uh, yeah. Aside from the flames shooting out of people, uh, plenty of light bondage, plenty of, uh, plenty of glass, plenty of... Uh, <laughs> people dancing plenty, in cages, yeah. ideally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been. You would have liked it. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, so your credits include The Abyss, The Crow, Men in Black. <laughs> How did you, like, what was your, um, now I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm awestruck. What got you, what got your foot in the industry? What, what made you, you know, wake up and say, I'm going to work in the movies? Like, what? inspired you there's there's obviously a very long uh version of that answer but i will i will condense it uh i'll answer it in two parts the first part i'll condense into two very simple words star and wars um <laughs> yep. uh i was nine years old in 1977 when that film came out and although I had seen Planet of the Apes and Jaws and, and some uh, Alien, uh, no, no, Alien was 79, uh, which was it, was Close, Encou Close Encounters was before Snow, I don't remember. Uh, but I'd, I'd seen, you know, science fiction, TV, obviously Star Trek and, and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, the horror films, Frankenstein, Dracula, all the original Universal stuff, the Creature from the Black Lagoon. So, so I liked all that stuff. And it was, you know, I had the Aurora model kits and, and was a big fan of heavy metal magazine in the 70s and so forth. But then, you know, when that film came out, I, you know, I think my dad said it the best in the, in the documentary Behind the Mask when he says, when my son saw that movie, that's when everything changed. And that, that's... I don't know what it was about that film to this day. I mean, you know, 40 years later, I still can't put my finger on exactly what it was. But there was something about the world that they created that lived in sort of beat up look to everything. And I don't know, like I, I just went berserk for that movie and, you know, everything in it. And I became obsessed with learning you know, I, you know, as a as a nine year old, you know, not only obsessed with the films themselves, but how they got made and how they made those monsters and and all that stuff, and that's what really started the journey for me. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I mean, they uh, it's it's such a remarkable uh, film, uh, you know, series of films. The first three, obviously, but um, 
you know, because the the prequels don't exist. Um, but <laughs> never happened. It's a, it's actually yeah, it's, it's a yeah. fake news. It was a, it a myth yeah. spread by the media. Yeah. So so, I actually wanted to ask you about that. Being someone who has worked in, on so many movies and has made movies with practical effects, uh, what do you think about the? You know, it, it seems like most movies don't have practical effects anymore. It's almost like you know, it's reserved to these fringe films as like this crazy thing. Why would you spend the money on practical effects? Like as an effects man, you know, what do you think about all of that? I think you should choose the effect that best suits your movie. Mm -hmm. So I am not, although I am a big fan of practical effects and I came up in that industry uh, and I'm obviously very well versed in practical effects. Uh, I'm also a big fan of good CG. Um, you know, there's a lot of CG in shallow water. You just don't see it. You don't, cause you don't know what's there. Um, cause it's so well done, uh, by a gentleman, by the name of Christie, um, who, uh, I've known for, for quite a while, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I look at films like, um, Terminator two, the abyss, mm -hmm. Uh, and Jurassic Park as like benchmarks of films that, that sort of used practical effects where they were appropriate and then used the CG where it was appropriate. And I think somewhere along the line, I, I think because of financial reasons, because computer generated imagery has become so inexpensive compared to you know, and, and just so quick, um, right. you know, I think, I think CG is, has, has taken over a lot of what practical effects used to be and still should be in some cases. Now, you know, do I look at these new Planet of the Apes films and think they're bad because they're, it's all CG? No, I mean, they're actually quite remarkable, um, but my preference is still the original films right. uh, with the John Chambers makeups, um, and 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 I'll, I'll and I'll use the analogy that I use all the time when I speak about this regarding practical effects versus CG. I'll use the analogy of shooting on film versus digital, mm -hmm. and I shoot everything digital now. I mean, I've I've absolutely all but fallen in love with the red camera. I mean, okay. I've we shot on the red one, we shot Hunter Prey on the red one. Everything else I've done since then, we've shot on Epics. I mean, Dragons, and I mean, I just I it's so fast, and I mean, you know, the dynamic range of 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 that sensor is just so ridiculous. I mean, I mean, there's just just nothing you can't do. Right. Um, it's just so quick, um, and it requires less people. And but I'll tell you this. When you've got that Panavision Millennium on your shoulder and there's a thousand foot mag on there and it weighs 75 pounds, 80 pounds, and, right. and you actually hear the film moving through the sprockets, it, I mean, there's something very romantic about that to oh, me. Yeah. And there's something, there's something very tangible and organic that you don't get when you shoot digitally. Um, and I feel the same way about special effects. I, when I make a movie, uh, 
I like to have creatures that, on the set that I can touch and feel and that the actors can relate to and that I can light and and, and actually give direction to. Um, right. it, you know, which is why I like guys in suits and makeups and, and I, you know, all those things that I've worked extensively with throughout my career. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that like really well done CG used where it needs to be used isn't just as magical and as wonderful of a tool it's just not as organic right you know what i mean it's a different animal so i think good directors you know like a james cameron like a steven spielberg mm-hmm. um you know like a you know a dennis villeneuve or somebody like that i mean you know like ridley scott i mean you know know how to use the two and balance the two right um and that in that in and of itself is an art outside of just being an effects artist or being a filmmaker um of which i consider myself both um but you know there's an there's an art there to knowing what should be cg and and what should be practical you follow yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it sort of depends on who's holding the gun. Because I, I, I always think of the uh, the Thing remake from 2011 and, like, seeing a lot of that behind-the-scenes stuff and seeing how much practical effects were, like, actually in the Thing that I think didn't the director sort of afterwards go, eh, we can do all that in digital. Correct. Yeah, and, 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 and that's a shame because Tom and Alec made some really incredible stuff for that, you know? Yeah, especially because, like, I was, like, I don't know, all the models and stuff, and especially for the Thing, like... If you're a special effects guy, the thing has to, you know, doing a thing, you know, reboot or, or not, not so much reboot as like, I don't know, prequel, like a thing move. Yeah. Yeah. That has to be like your dream project. If you grew up watching, you know, creature features, the boat team. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, but I but feel I, like as a viewer, I definitely know where you're coming from, and it's really fascinating to hear the filmmaker side because as a viewer, I feel like when I watch Shallow Water, when I watch Predator, when I watch all of these movies, I feel I it's like I can tell that that was physical. It's not you know rendered. Um, my friends give me a hard time because you know I have my dvds of star wars with the really bad audio theatrical cuts on them and like my cousin still has the vhs because they're you know the unspecial editions and like i won't let my my four-year-old watch the the star wars with the cgi that he probably would enjoy more because i don't want him to see the wrong version of it right right and like and like alien covenant that's good uh, parenting dude (laughs) (laughs) exactly you're you're bringing them up the way they need to go and especially like uh watching alien covenant i a i didn't really need to see the xenomorph in broad fucking daylight riding a ship but also it looked it looked very apparently there were there were a lot of practical effects in it and that did not come through for me at all like it looked like a cg xenomorph yeah i think i think it suffered a little bit from uh thingitis you know to where you know they built the stuff and they shot it mm-hmm. but i think in the end it wound up being more the the computer stuff and just knowing ridley and I mean, and not personally, but, you know, oh, knowing yeah. his filmmaking style, um, 
you just get the sense that he's all about the CG now. Oh, you know, yeah. so it, it wouldn't surprise me uh, if that was the case. I, I didn't work on the film, so I don't know, but um, I uh, that was definitely one of the films I saw. You know, this past year that uh, that left a lot to be desired for me. It, for it, sure. it uh, yeah, it didn't quite do the trick. Well, and just the idea that I think the reason why Alien is so good is it deals with that monster problem so well of just not showing you anything until close to the end of the movie and then showing you everything. Mm-hmm. Well, and then also, you know, you, you got to remember, too, dude, you're dealing with a little bit of the Jaws syndrome there. You know, that suit didn't really look that great, you oh, know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That that you know, shark really was like the bane of Steven Spielberg's out. life for like a year there. Yeah, you know, um, you again the good filmmakers, the great filmmakers, learn how to construct the film, whether it be through their own devices or necessity. Um, and I don't necessarily even think it matters which one of the two, but you you craft the film based on the resources that you have, you know, I I mean, in Alien, you know, that, you know, the xenomorph in the first film is a guy in a suit. I mean, it was there the whole time. Right. I mean, he could have shot more of it. He could have shot it, you know, with more light on it. He could have shot, but the way he chose to shoot it in the, in the, in the smoke and in the dark and backlit and silhouette, it just it just worked, mm-hmm. you know. Like you know, and and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Ridley's an artist himself, you know, and he just knows what looks good. Um, you know, I've always gravitated to those types of filmmakers. I mean, my favorite three filmmakers are are uh, are are Ridley Scott, James Cameron, and Stanley Kubrick, and you know, all of them are artists. I mean, Stanley Kubrick was a phenomenal photographer mm-hmm. and, you know, James Cameron and Ridley Scott are both phenomenal draftsmen. I mean, they both can draw anything. I mean, they storyboard their own films and, or, I mean, they did back when they, when they had to, but, right. um, you know, e- even just getting to work with Cameron, um, briefly, you know, uh, was, was such a gift because I, I learned, so much from the guy in such a short time, you know? Um, and that's, that's, that's one thing that you can say about the greats. You know, I often, um, get, uh, I mean, I don't really know what the word you'd use. I mean, you know, you get, you get knocked, I guess, by some fellow smart ass, uh, effects artists, um, as talented as they may be, it's like, oh well, you know, you 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 were only on Leviathan for a couple of months, and you didn't do anything really creative or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's true, but I was around Stan Winston personally for that short time, and right. when you're around someone that's that much of a presence and that much of a talent, you know, the same thing goes for for Cameron and Spielberg and all these other directors I've worked for. Um, you know, you don't really need a whole hell of a lot of time around these people to learn a lot, you know, because uh, they're just so damn good, you know. Yeah, uh, and, and like I think of John Carpenter with um, the thing, the fact that like so many of the facts that like Robertine did for it, 
I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, John Carpenter was the guy figuring how to shoot it to make it literally look like this guy's upside down severed head was turning into a horrible eye stalked crab beast. And, you know, I'm sure that if you had moved the camera a little bit and put a little more, a little bit more light on it, it would look more like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's a prosthetic. That's not an actual severed head. But I don't know, like the way that he used lighting and the way that he used the camera, like so many of the effects in that just legitimately look like this shit is happening. It still blows my mind. Oh, absolutely. Uh, again, you know, another, like Predator, you know, another benchmark, you know, um, not, uh, you know, a diff- different kinds of effects, you know, not a guy in a suit, but mm-hmm. um Certainly, uh, you know, Academy Award worthy, you know, like benchmark for sure. Uh, you know, and um, I mean, you know, the stories um, about the thing and, and how that was shot and how a lot of those effects were made have been, you know, lolling around these effect shops, you know, for decades now. And, and they've just become, you know, the thing of legend, you know, and it's just. Yeah. Wow, you know they—that's how they did that, or you know. Yeah, and maybe for all that, you know, Mike like, Luke, you know, maybe like yeah. the 2011 prequel. Maybe there was no way it could necessarily live up to the original thing. How could it? Yeah. How could it? You know, uh, I'm getting asked a lot about this new Predator film coming out. You know, the Shane Black one, and it's oh, like, yeah. you know, it, I, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. And I certainly don't want to jinx that movie, uh, but I mean, how could it hold up to that first film? Yeah, How could yeah. It? <laughs> it's just that that first film is it, it, it. I mean, it's like Star Wars to me, or Raiders, or Blade Runner. It's like it's two thousand one, Clockwork Orange. I mean, it's it's perfect. Yeah, and and, and, and it's like it's like an elemental like part of the pop culture landscape. Yeah, it's 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 pretty much a perfect movie. You know, it's like the Terminator, or you know, it's it, it's perfect. I mean, there's nothing in that movie you point to and go, oh, that's wrong, or that could have been, you know, I mean, for the effects that they had at the time, and for the technology, certainly, that they had at the time, mm-hmm. those movies, I mean, look at look at the, I mean, even a film like Barry Lyndon, which, you know, I mean, it's not a genre movie by any stretch of the imagination, but, I mean, when you think about the fact that Stanley Kubrick actually designed and had lenses made to shoot in that low light, mm-hmm. you know, that's a pretty gargantuan feat. Yeah, because yeah. he knew exactly what he wanted, and he found a way yeah. to engineer it to, to get exactly that thing. And then also with um, with Predator, honestly, I was, I, I think, uh, the, so a thing I was talking about um, recently with a friend was that time that Jean-Claude Van Damme almost ruined Predator, because <laughs> they brought him on, and he, uh, quote, would not stop kickboxing when he was on set. Yep. And, you know, Joel Silver is demanding, you know, like, dude, please just stop. And he's like, no, I can't. This is how I see the Predator. And, like, um, I'm sure both of you guys have seen the uh, the test footage of uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme running around in the big red Predator suit. Mm-hmm. And you realize how bad this movie could have been and how they just, you know, turned it into exactly what it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've, I've gotten both sides of, of that story uh oh, I, I, I well i feel i'm very fortunate in that respect because you know i knew stan mm-hmm. uh steve wang is a very good friend of mine you know uh as is you know eddie yang scream Ed george you know I, I worked with all these guys that mm-hmm. you know shannon shea you know guys that worked on that made the predator suit um 
Matt Rose, you know, all those guys. Uh, and, you know, you got their, obviously, set of stories and circumstances. And then uh, last year, I, um, I did the Rubberhead book with Steve Johnson. And Steve Johnson was the guy that was responsible for building the first Predator. Mm-hmm. So the Jean-Claude Van Damme one. So I got to see a lot of photos uh, and a lot of stuff that people hadn't seen. And Steve Johnson had some wonderful stories um, about how um, he saw the, uh, the 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 film, you know, from his perspective with that monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually quite interesting when you when you think about it. Uh, Steve Johnson is not a big fan of the Stan Winston Steve Wang uh, creature, but. Right. Um, uh, because he, you know he feels that it was just more like a you know a guy in a Godzilla suit is how he uh, he how Steve Johnson says John McTiernan called it, but um, you know uh, I honestly after speaking to Steve Johnson at length about this, um, I did see what he meant about some of the benefits of the first incarnation of that creature. Mm-hmm. However, I just don't think it would have worked as well as what we got you right. know and i'm glad we got what we got um because it's you know my favorite creature suit of all time if not right. my favorite creature design of all time, you know i mean it, it's just you know it's you got that the xenomorph you know the alien from the first film and then you got the sleeve stacks from lando lost i mean what else is there <laughs> yeah this episode is also brought to you by Nailed It Productions. Nailed It Productions is a horror production company that has entered the merch game to pay for future films that give back to all you freaks and creeps. Their first pin produced is their Nailed It logo, complete with a custom mini VHS box and sticker set. And their second pin is Louisiana late night TV legend Morgus the Magnificent. Uh, only airing in Louisiana for 35 plus years. He's going to be a pin and sticker paying homage to the man who inspired so many of us growing up in the South. Since Nailed It Productions are also fans of collecting VHS and love nostalgic things, they thought what better way to release their films but on VHS format for our fans. We are working with At Rusher Release Videos and Magnetic Magic Rentals for a November release. So all of you VHS ghouls, uh, Nailed It Productions has you covered. So, Matt, and also I, I, I think my my favorite part of the entire movie has to be when uh, Arnold sees, or uh, Dutch, I should say, not literal Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, 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 it was a documentary. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was actually there in the jungle. Um, and yet, yeah, the moment when he sees the predator's face without the helmet on, and he, you know, calls him, an, calls him, an, you know, an ugly motherfucker, and it's like, that's exactly what the entire audience is thinking in that moment. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's like yeah. this fucking yeah mandible face. Um, and like, so with the Predator, I, having, because I've, I've seen it a million times, and upon rewatching it again recently, I think the part that kills me is that you know that Dylan is not to be trusted because he loses it handshakes. Like, they do the, the cool guy flex shake, like, <laughs> son of a bitch. And then he's like, whoa, 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 okay, man. And it's like, ah, look at this rat bastard bowing out of the cool guy handshake. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, he can't uh, shake hands for shit. <laughs> I love uh, how this movie is an action movie. It is straight up a war movie 
And then all of a sudden it turns into sci-fi thriller horror. Like, and, and it's like on a dime and like, at that point in the movie, the, the audience is already so invested they can't be like, "Hold on, I didn't quite sign up for this." And even though there's like the first shot of the movie is the spaceship, and you're like, "Okay, something sci-fi is happening." It's so hard. It's so like deep in realism and like gritty, you know, post Vietnam, post Rambo action, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it turns on a dime and, and veers into that hard sci-fi. We're fighting a, you know, alien with camouflage. Alien. <laughs> yeah, they're dropping an abominable snowman into the middle of Miss Saigon halfway through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, and that, you know that that's that's one of the things that I actually love about that film um, is that uh, you know I've always loved movies that kind of started you off with the premise of one thing and then sort of turned into something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's what shallow water is, to be honest. I mean, it it starts off as, you know, sort of uh, an adventure film that sort of turns into a monster movie. Um, yeah. Um, tell us know. more about uh, the future of Shallow Water. Are we going to see more uh, La Tiburonera? Or I, uh, I think we are. Uh, I, right now, um, the film. Um, is being rewritten by um, the Marcus brothers, uh, Bradley and Kevin Marcus. They are, um, they've written, uh, they're credited with writing a bunch of horror stuff. And they've also, um, you know, like, you know, like with most writers in Hollywood, you know, you get, I mean, I, I'm not at liberty to say which films these are, but, Mm -hmm. You know, they get pulled in to, you know, doctor up scripts or in some cases do page one rewrites of movies that they never got a credit on. Um, They're really, really good writers. um, And I'm also working with Kevin Grievous uh, as a producer. Now, Kevin is the creator of Underworld, uh, and he also played the character Ray's in the first film. Um, and if you didn't also know, Kevin also created and wrote I Frankenstein. Um, yeah. Uh, now that film in, in Kevin's defense did not get made the way that he saw it. Obviously he didn't direct the film. Oh, sure. I was going to say, I want to know, I want to read the screenplay because (laughs) he got done so dirty. Like I, I had assumed that this had been probably butchered by at least four people. Uh, well, again, I'm not at liberty to say. Of course, of course. <laughs> but you know, yeah, we Kevin, don't want to get you in Kevin, trouble. Uh, you have to go back to work tomorrow. So. Yeah, Kevin. Kevin loved the short. He, he loved Shallow Water, and um, he he approached me and said, uh, "You know, look, man. You know, I think I think we could do something with this." <laughs> Uh, you know, I think we could take this to Lakeshore and, uh, you know, make, you know, make a movie out of this. You know, it needs to be rewritten, obviously. But, uh, you know, so, no, he, and Kevin's a great guy. And uh, he, he um, you know, uh, the thing I liked about the way that the whole thing kind of transpired was like, he was just very frank with me and very honest. And it's like, look, he's like, you know, look, dude, these creatures are awesome. This idea is awesome. You know, you got some 
great skills uh, as a director. Mm-hmm. The script needs a lot of work, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so uh, I was like, okay, well, you know, what do we do? I mean, I, you know, so he he wound up uh, getting these uh, the Marcus brothers involved, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're rewriting, and um, we are expecting the first draft um, before the holidays. So fuck yeah, keep your fingers. It's so up. exciting. <laughs> Yeah, no, and and I'll tell you, the idea that we all subsequently came up with after a few meetings, um, it was it was actually Kevin's idea, to be honest. It, uh, he came up with this, you know, just this, I mean, in, 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 in one sentence, the guy literally just like re, uh, redesigned, I guess, or, or, or recreated for lack of a better word, the entire mythology behind these creatures. Um, and myself and Bradley and Kevin, we're all, we're all just sitting at the table and we all just looked at each other with our mouths open and went, wow, that's <laughs> cool. That's never been done before. Oh my God. And then, you know, you start riffing, everybody starts riffing on the idea. And before you know it, we now have something that is like what we just spoke about. We have something that starts as some something and then halfway through the film turns into something completely different and you're going to go, oh my God, no way. So now that I feel we've got the, as they say, the, the backbone of the script, you know, cracked, mm-hmm. um, I feel really good about where this film is going. I think once the draft comes in, um, you know, Kevin said that, uh, you know, it's customary for the original writer being myself, um, you know, to, to take a look at it and, and do a polish if necessary or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to resubmit it to the studio and see what they say. Um, but uh, I, I feel really good about where shallow water is right now. Um, yeah. I think, Opening myself up to working with other talents like Kevin and like Bradley and, and his and his and his brother, um, you know, it's it's allowed the introduction of different ideas, better ideas um, that that just made the script better. Um, so I, you know, I'm excited uh, about it. I, you know, I don't want to get too excited or say too much, but I, you know, I'm. When, you know, when Kevin dropped this idea, uh, you know, uh, uh, about, you know, the mythology of these creatures, which, w- w- you know, sets up the whole second and third act of the movie. Um, I-, I mean, literally, it was just like, you know, we all looked at each other. We-, we-, we were at a restaurant and, you know, we all looked at each other. And it was literally one of those moments where we all looked at each other and went, like somebody get on Google and, and find out if this has been done before because there's no way somebody hasn't thought of this. And sure enough, no one's thought of it. This is like a really cool, interesting take on a monster movie that hasn't been seen before. So I'm 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 pretty excited. So we'll yeah. we'll see where it goes. Which I love it when you actually Google a thing That's that turns so out no one else has had that idea yet. Yeah, and, it's rare, you know. Yeah. So I mean because look, I mean let's 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 let, let's face it, right? Shallow water as a concept mm-hmm. is nothing really groundbreaking. And, and I mean, and I'm not being self-deprecating here. I'm just saying, you know, it's it's an aquatic 
monster, you know, and it's a guy, in, it, it's a creature from the Black Lagoon, it's Abe Sapien, it's yeah. Predator, it's, you know, it's it's all those things, you know, it's its own thing as well, obviously, because the design looks very different, but it's, like, I'm not breaking any real, real new ground here, um, effects-wise, but the story and, and the mythology of what these things actually are, Kevin really 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 blew me away with that so i'm 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 excited to see what uh the marcus boys come up with and uh you know and and what the reaction of the studio is so i I, i'm really curious to see so it's gonna be great we'll see i I think what floored me most uh when i first saw shallow water is how strong of a design the shark hunter is for a short film I was when I first saw it, I was like, I love this guy. I want, you know, give me the action figures, which you made, you know, (laughs) give me a stuffed animal. He's going to be my Halloween costume. This guy is like, you know, let him be everything. Yeah. (laughs) So it's exciting to find out that he's going to get they're going to get fleshed out so much and like we'll finally learn more because and that's my favorite thing about the the shorts film is it ends with this, oh, yeah, there's this entire world. This is way more than just, you know, a, a girl getting massacred by these monsters. Right. It's and trust me, that was freaking hard to do, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, all those guys in suits and in 50-degree, you know, water and, and, you know, water housings for the cameras and, ju- I mean... It's just not something you see in a lot of short films these days. You know, I had to pull a lot of favors and, uh, you know, spend some money to get that done. Uh, but again, it's 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 proving um, to be worth it. So obviously, uh, it's it's done its job, so to speak. But um, thank you for the for the kind words. I, I'm I I am very proud of that film. I uh, absolutely. You know I. I do watch a lot of short films, um, and I do obviously watch a lot of horror films. And um, you know, you know that you know there is you know without being um, you know negative or whatever here. I mean, you know, there is a lot of junk out there. Oh, you know, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I just I I just don't want to make junk. You know, I just I don't want to be that guy. Right. Um, well, and, and especially like, and, and like, not to not to use a cliche, but like in a in a, in a post YouTube world, um, I feel like YouTube is is wonderful for a lot of things, but it's also it makes it hard to find the really really good stuff because I mean, on this podcast alone, we have on our list some shorts that were like, what the fuck were they thinking? Or it was you know sort of like, well, they had a cool idea, but they didn't quite have the means to pull off the thing they were trying to pull off. And finding, yeah, or, finding really good shorts is really like can be really difficult. Um, so, uh, w- one other thing uh, about Predator that I think is interesting is the dialogue. Now, of course, Shane Black is going to be you know he's attached to the new one coming out, and then Shane Black in this movie, I have never wanted to give somebody a swirly so badly in my life as Shane Black in, in the original Predator. Mm-hmm. Like his entire function in this film is like, he's just like, you know, shitting out a Garfield joke book where literally his whole, <laughs> his whole thing is just like, Hey, you know, and he'll, he'll do these really bad. It's almost like, uh, a, a, a dick obsessed seventh grader trying to do a vaudeville routine. Only we're in Vietnam. Um, and oh, God. Like, that's, so, a, that's an interesting, uh, 
juxtaposition there. <laughs> oh, sure. And I feel like a lot of the dialogue in Predator totally works because, of course, you know, you've got fucking Jesse the Body Ventura delivering these lines. You've got him, you know, goddamn sexual Tyrannosaurus. You've got him going, you know, doing the, the iconic I ain't got time to bleed line. Um, and then a lot of the dialogue, it's it's sort of, it's um, it's almost like a parody of an action movie where, like, you know, the, the bit with... Um, you know, like, you know, you're, you're ghosting us, motherfucker. Like, we're like, yeah. who actually talks like that? <laughs> you give up opposition one more time. I'll bleed you I'll real, bleed you real quiet. Real quiet. Yeah. Leave it here. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Like, I, and, and especially when I compare it to the dialogue in Predator 2, I feel like it, it gets even more ridiculous in Predator 2. Like, it's, it, pre the first Predator almost looks understated compared to some of the dialogue in Predator 2. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, Quincy. How do you feel about pro wrestling? Uh, I would I would describe myself as fond of pro wrestling, maybe even exceedingly fond. Uh, hey Ryan. Yeah. How do you feel about enamel pins? Uh, enamel pins are how I uh, use my jacket to show that I'm actually cooler than all the other kids in school, uh, and in fact too cool for school with my wrestling pins. So, yeah, you beat me to the punch. So our sponsor this week is <laughs> LapelYeah.com. Yeah. Uh, Lapelia makes pro wrestling enamel pins. Yeah, like they've they've got literally, especially if you're into New Japan pro wrestling, like I am, which is what I constantly think about and talk about. Um, Lapelia has a bunch of pins uh, that you're not going to get anywhere else. Um, the art on them is incredible. They have a too sweet pin. If you buy the too sweet pin, someone will too sweet your pin, and you know you want that to happen. If you both have a two-sweet hand symbol pin and then you chest bump, you can two-sweet each other um, with your pins, but then also if you two-sweet with uh, two other hands, that is three two-sweets in one two-sweet. That's just good business. Yeah. So, Lapelia has been so kind uh, to give us a promo code to share with you guys. Uh, enter the code rank and vile at checkout and you can get 20% off your order at lapelia.com. And then especially uh, with um, with the promo code, you're you're giving your money to somebody who makes really, really dope shit. And it's like, it, this isn't a, a, a nature box thing that you would never care for or Blue Apron. This is rad wrestling pins and you get a promo code. What's not to love? Do it. Well, in Predator 2, I think they tried to get too techy with it by, by like, explaining it all. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the Gary Busey character and the uh, the Adam, uh, what's his name, the, the other guy, uh, character, you know, like, just trying to, you know, explain everything. You know, I mean, he was, you know, it's like, what do they, what do they call that character in every script? You know, Mr. Exposition uh, or exposition whatever. Exposition dump, yeah. Yeah. Let's not um, forget, Predator Two takes place in the future, nineteen ninety-seven. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the yeah. dangerous future hellscape of Los Angeles. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, another another um, dystopian. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, w w what have you? But um, you know, look, I, I I enjoy both films, and I I certainly own them both. Uh, but you know, like. Like so many of these properties, you know, I think the subsequent films that were released just haven't cut the mustard so far. I would agree, uh, and and like I didn't, I didn't hate Predators, the one with uh, Adrian Brody. Um, I did. Yep, there we go. That's mostly mostly what I didn't hate was that you had fucking Topher Grace popping up because you, you you see this character and you if you've ever seen a movie before you know like oh this guy's gonna pull some shit.
Yep. And then, yeah. you know, shockingly, when he pulls some shit, I, you know, you're, I'm, I was sitting there feeling very smug with my popcorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I, a lot of why that movie doesn't work for me is Adrian Brody. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I don't know whose idea it was to try and turn him into an action hero, but that's a bad <laughs> idea. Um, like you're going to follow up Arnold with uh, Adrian Brody? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's you know... You know he's, a, you know, you know what? What's the expression? A day late and a dollar short. Uh-huh. I think I, I, I think he's a day late and a hundred pounds short. You know, oh, yeah. uh, you know, um, but uh, you know. I mean, at least I Danny mean, Glover, you get him as a sort of over, you know, over the hill, crusty, cynical cop. Like Adrian Brody looks like he just came from the, the nearest co-op to fight the predator. Yeah, yeah, it didn't didn't really work for me. And I think you know, especially again, you know, coming off of the first film where. See, you know, one thing I, I, I've always admired that I that I think is a great skill as a writer uh, and as a director as well is to give character, memorable character, to people that you see on screen for such a short time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the Jesse Ventura character, uh, Bill Duke, right. the, the Shane Black character, Billy... You know, I mean, all of these characters get killed off, you know, you know, I I won't even say quickly, I'll say without delivering a whole whole, whole lot of dialogue. But like you said, the dialogue that they do deliver is memorable and it, 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 you know, whether you're cringing at it or, 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 or or applauding it, Mm -hmm. it, it sort of fits and Uh, and it, and it, it, it's the movie, you know. Um, well, of course, and because like for, like for a movie about you know soldiers fighting an alien, like nobody wants David Mamet dialogue for that. You know what I mean? Like they they talk in bumper stickers, but that's kind of okay for you know the sort of movie Predator is, where the, you know they're not Correct. they're not going for subtler, deeper themes. They're it's it's a movie about no. fighting an alien in the jungle. And yet, uh, Bill Duke and Jesse Ventura's like character dynamic in that movie is like aspirational. I wish I had a friend as good as. A friendship as good as Mac and Blaine. And, and, and my aspiration is for uh, our, the review of this podcast to be Ryan and Quincy are the Mac and Blaine of podcasts. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's yeah. blindly firing a minigun into the jungle. You know, we're just going to have to put up like Tiger Beat style posters of the two of them wildly spraying bullets into the jungle. Uh, we're just going to have to have them <laughs> in our lockers and just, you know, aspire to someday... Uh, be as iconic a duo. And then also in the movie, the other thing that I think is incredible is uh, the reveal that Carl Weathers' character was uh, a a rat bastard all along. And the bit that confuses me, because I love it because they don't bother to explain shit, is when, so he and Dutch um, uh, are in a shack and, you know, Dutch is like, what do you mean we weren't supposed to be here? And then, you know, you just, all Dylan says is like, I woke up. Why, why don't you? It's like, wait, what the fuck are you talking about? You woke up. Like, they they never explain why. Because, of course, he's trying to get his men out because they're all getting, like, pureed in the jungle. But when he asks, like, you know, what happened to you? And it's like, I, you know, he was a pencil pusher. And if you're a pencil pusher for long enough, the pencil pusher uh, industrial complex will corrupt you. And, and you'll you'll mm-hmm. send your friends to die in the jungle. And that's just what happens. There you go. Um, you know, be, being a Carl Weathers fan, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, with the Rocky films and, and so forth, oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, 
I like his character. I just, I just think that I, I, again, if we're and and this is obviously splitting hairs because you know we've already said it. Predator is a great fucking movie, but oh, yeah. um, you know his, his quote unquote character arc at the end. You know, I picked up a few bad habits from you. You know, like oh, yeah. I mean. I mean that's that's like the that that's like the one line character arc, you know. It just doesn't really work. But um, you know, it's again, it's very action movie though. It's very, it's again, like I said, I think all of that dialogue fits. Like it just as silly as some of it is, it works within the confines of that film. Right. You know? And like it wouldn't work for a lot of other movies. I think Cobra gets away with it, but it's not as well done, the, the, this kind of dialogue. Correct. Correct. You know, there's, um, you know, th- there's some of it in Jaws. There's some of it in like John Milius's stuff, like Conan, Big Wednesday. Um, you know, you see remnants of it. Um, I, oh, yeah, think, Conan, I, think, sure. I think you get a lot of it in Lethal Weapon. But, you know, again, it's it's just indicative of films of that time. Right. You know, I think it's more of a of a slice in time to where, like, that mid to late 80s, you know, macho, just, you know, lethal weapon, uh, you, you know, Conan type. I, I don't know. It just. Oh, yeah. It, it just, you know, and, and, you know, maybe it has something to do with the actors. Maybe it is an Arnold thing or, or, I mean, I mean, Christ, look at, look at Terminator, look at, look right. at Fred, look at, look at, you know, I'll be back, stick around, you know, I mean, all, you know, all, all these iconic lines that are in and of themselves dumb, but like when, right. you, again, when you look at them in the context of the film, Mm-hmm. You know the you know the Terminator standing there in the police station, casually looking to his left, casually looking to his right, then looking at the guy behind the glass, and then just going, "I'll be back." Right. You know. Like, then no one laughed. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? No, it was of course. just yeah. Then, it, it gains like a it, gain, it gains like a thing yeah. after the fact where everybody decides that that's like an iconic thing, and like especially I mean horror alone. I mean, you look at any, like, sort of horror catchphrase, like, they're here from Poltergeist, or be afraid, be very afraid from the fly, like, it, it's almost like, um, like, you kind of can't make an iconic phrase happen yourself, everybody just has to walk away from the movie quoting that thing, and that's how it becomes a part of the right. lexicon. Yeah. It's gotta be organic. Right. Well, and so, Sandy, oh, we have reached the difficult part of this show, where I ask you... Is Predator a better film than Hellraiser? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, we're starting low. That's good. You've passed the first test. Congratulations. <laughs> so I, I, I think it is better than American Psycho. Getting to Poltergeist, that, that, that's a tough one for me. So, yeah, that's where I kind of wonder, like, on one hand, Predator has, like, perfect design but on the other hand poltergeist has actual human remains as part of the special effects oh sure mm-hmm. i mean it's important to have um i let's see i hmm I, I would argue that predator is a better movie because as 
you know, hot doggy as they are, I feel like the character relationships are better in Predator. Like, the the relationships between these guys are better established than the mother-child bond in Poltergeist. Well, I don't know. I mean, you in Poltergeist, you get the scene of the mother uh, helping to bury... Um the the bird you know where she, like she's about to flush the bird down the toilet and then she has to put it in a shoebox and I, I don't know I'm I'm probably maybe that's but not as big of a point, moment. Mac tears a jungle in half with a machine gun because his best friend dies. So you're saying murdering the jungle for killing your friend is a bigger moment than burying a baby bird? Yeah, I, you know that's yeah that's fair. That's she fair. flushes the bird, the... Ryan. It's not even a big deal. It's like. <laughs> It's like throwing out the garbage. It's like the other night I had leftover spaghetti and I put it in the garbage disposal. It's like that. That's about the emotional weight of her <laughs> throwing that bird away. Damn, son. You know what I really love about Poltergeist is the humor. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. There, I mean, there's so much of it in that movie, but that one moment where they the, the paranormal investigative team is there mm-hmm. and they go up to the bedroom... And, uh, you know, the, they're all serious. The guy says, yes, uh, you know, four, four years ago, I documented a, a toy car moving across uh, a kitchen floor. And, you know, you couldn't see it with the human eye, but the whole thing took like eight hours or whatever. It was absolutely fascinating. And then, like, you know, Craig T. Nelson just looks at him and goes, uh-huh. <laughs> the door. Yeah, and it's just... Oh, my God. You know, you wonder, like, is, is is that just brilliant writing or did that just happen on the set? You know oh, what I yeah. mean? Like, I, I don't know. You know, like, it's just so, like, uh-huh. And then he just <laughs> opens the door and there's all this shit flying around in the room. Um, yep. You know, he comes home from work and, you know, the, the you know, earlier in the film where the wife is obviously flipped out. Right. And, you know, they... She puts Carol Ann in the football helmet and sits her in the on the floor, you know, and and she scoots across the floor and is it, you know, I mean, there's so much humor in that movie oh, yeah. that I, it, that's what puts Poltergeist way up there for me Definitely. because I think it's one of those rare instances where I can appreciate humor in a horror film to where. Now, I hope I'm not slitting my own throat here. Um, I, you know, I, to where, like, th- like the humor in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies does not do it for me. Oh, you know, you're, you're it, not. That's yeah. just silly, you know. Um, it's not funny. Like, the, 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 the humor in Poltergeist is funny. It's so, it, you know, he's, uh. You know, the, you know the, the whole thing with the remote controls, with the neighbors, and all that. I mean, it's funny. Oh know? yeah, and, um, and of course, and you worked on Nightmare Five. I did. I did work on Nightmare Five, which has um, maybe one of the most mean spirited kills in the series with Greta and the Greta. Yeah, 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 yeah. that one. Yeah. Like, I and that's the thing is that, like the humor in the Nightmare movies because like for me, I think it's um, I have a weakness for puns, and I've been obsessed with the Nightmare series since I was like knee high to a duck's ass. So of course, I'm like the humor totally works for me, but that's entirely because. I'm a rube, and it's puns, so of course I'm on board with it. But, like, Got it. Th- the humor in Nightmare is mean-spirited in a way that it is not mean-spirited in Poltergeist. And especially because, like, again, the family in Poltergeist, you, like, Nightmare and Elm Street, especially later uh, sequel humor, would not work for this family because you actually want them to be okay. Like, you want them mm-hmm. to make it through this yeah. experience. Yeah. 
Yep. I agree. Um, so, is Predator better than Poltergeist? No. Yeah. No. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. You know, I also have to totally uh, take back everything I said because I forgot about that scene where Craig T. Nelson uh, smokes pot with his wife. I was, and it's like, see, I was going to bring the up, moment I, that I, I, like, I up, want them to be okay. They're real people. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, that's the save the cat moment where, you know, it's, it's these two parents. You know, Craig T. Nelson is reading a book about Reagan and he's getting blazed with his wife and they're being doofuses. Like, of course. I mean... So, so that's the question: Is uh, smoking weed with your wife uh, a bigger or smaller character moment than murdering a jungle with a huge gun because it killed your friend? I gotta say, yeah. it's a bigger moment. Yeah. I think it's safe yeah, to I put mean, look, Predator look, at number you, nine. You you asked you asked if it was a better movie than Poltergeist, and my answer is no. Yep. However, those two movies sitting on my shelf. Nine times out of ten, I'll watch Predator instead. Right. See, I may like Predator better, but I don't think it's a better film. See, and that's actually, and that's one of the metrics we we tend to use when we're uh, really clutching our faces and trying to figure out whether a movie is better is like the Friday Night Test, which is like, you know, you get uh, a two liter of mug root beer and a, a one of those tombstone pizzas in the shape of a tombstone around Halloween. What are you throwing on when you're just, you know, dicking around the house and you want to watch a movie? And, and so for you, that would be like Predator over Poltergeist. Correct. Yep. But, of course, Poltergeist is technically a better movie because the emotional beats are there in a way that it's not necessarily there in The Predator. I don't know. I feel like number nine is a really solid spot for Predator. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Especially out of what, 120, 121? 122 now. I like to think of, like, if this is a list of the order, watch all of these movies, but in this order, I think that's a pretty good spot to, oh, yeah. to put it to. Which also I love that Poltergeist is next to Predator on the list because of how fucking different those movies are. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah, you know, and it, you know, it's funny because, you know, you look down the list and there's, there's so many favorites, you oh, know, yeah. but they're just not... You know, they're not great movies, you know. Um, I love Nightbreed, you know. Oh, I yeah. just, oh, yeah. I mean, is that a great movie? No. Um, you know, uh, where, what's the other one you had on here? Hardware. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, Richard, uh, what's his name? Oh, um, I forget the guy that made it. I, I, I always just think of, oh, Dylan yeah. McDermott, that's his movie. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, Richard, um, uh, Richard Stanley. That's the guy that was going to direct uh, Doctor Moreau. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, shit, Night of the Slasher. God, I mean, I'll I'll watch that anytime you put it on. Um, Definitely. But I mean, you know, do they belong like up in that? You know, on that first page? No, you know, I just I. It, yeah, but and there's stuff on here that you know. I mean, God, this is just so—it's so fascinating. Like, uh, I mean, and again, I, I hope I'm not you know slitting my own throat here again. Uh, <laughs> right. th- th- there are movies on this list I have not seen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I have not seen Ryan Prowl's Low Life. Um, oh man, you got to catch that on the the um, 
I think that's still in the festival scene. I think he is still touring with that movie. Um, get pull the strings you got to pull to see that. It is okay. super fun. Well, and see now for me, I it's, feel like um, oh. it's El Santo. If El Santo was Reservoir Dogs, yep. Oh wow, that does sound fun. It's rad as yeah. <laughs> and, and like a lot of these movies, I would say past about uh, Army of Darkness. Once you get into Evil Ed territory, that to me is not so much like. Uh, I think before that, these are all movies that even if somebody isn't a, a fucking diehard horror hound, I would be like, yes, you should absolutely see, you know, Reanimator and Eraserhead and all these movies. And I feel like after oh, absolutely. that, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, well, okay, should I make this person watch Cat in the Brain with me? And it's like, well, are they into some weird horror shit? And then, and then that's when you get into that territory. Are they a ghoul or are they just your average Jeff? Exactly. Chopping mall. Okay. Yeah. Which, yeah, chopping mall. A lot of these are like, okay, did this person spend a lot of time lurking the VHS uh, horror section in their local video shack as a kid? No, but it's rad. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's a ruin. I mean, what a great movie. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, you know, and then I. Um, Return of the Living Dead for like nostalgia, sure. Um, oh, sure, but it's not. But it's not. A, you know, it's it's one of my favorites, but it's definitely not a a great horror movie that you know it's on par with like Mulholland Drive or Suspiria. Yeah, you know, I you know I gotta say I think I do agree with you guys. I think Nine is a really sweet spot mm-hmm. on your list for that movie. Now there are movies above that that I don't think are anywhere near as good as Predator. But uh, as a matter of fact, there is one movie in your top eight that I don't even think deserves to be on the list, but we we won't go there. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm going to take a flying guess here. Is it The Babadook? I am not a fan of that movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's polarizing. That movie, at the end, I was just like, what? What?" That one and The Witch, the same thing. Like... Really? Oh yeah. That, that's it. Like no, like mm-hmm. I, I don't get it. Um, <laughs> but again, that's that's why movies are so wonderful. And you know, you. I mean, shit. I've run into people in my life that don't like Star Wars. I mean, right. What can you do about that? And, and also, of course, like how how boring would it be if everybody sort of gathered as a council and everybody agreed? Mm, Alien is the greatest horror no, movie. And boring yeah. as fuck. Yeah. 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 Um, I I totally dig the fact that the Bride of Frankenstein is on there. I mean, <laughs> what a, a great movie! It, um, it still holds up so well. Oh God! Uh, I would have Alien as number one and Chainsaw Massacre as number two. Oh yeah. But but if you're talking straight up horror, mm-hmm. it's got to be Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. I mean, it, it's got to be because Alien to me. Again, it's that it's that subgenre. It's that sci-fi horror. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like it's not. It's like Predator. It's not straight horror. Where Texas Chainsaw Massacre? That's a horror movie. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. a movie called Predator, The Texas Chainsaw it's Massacre. A movie. You know, I wonder what that movie might be. It's a romantic comedy. <laughs> well, oh, oh. yeah, the most perfect movie Sandy, title of all time. Thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight. Hey, thank you for having me. This yeah. was this was awesome. Yeah, once again, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Um, so, tell our listeners where they can see um, Shallow Water, where they can find your books on special effects, where they can find you all around the internet. 
Well, you can find everything on my website, which is montaukstudios.com. That's M-O-N-T-A-U-K studios, one word, dot com. Um, You can buy Shallow Water there on DVD, Blu-ray. You can download it. Um, You can buy all my action figures and my books and my resin kits and all that stuff there as well. Um, And then... um, you get me on Facebook at Sandy Calora, uh, Instagram it's at Calora Studios, one word, uh, and my Twitter is uh, Calora Studios as well. So um, that's about it, I think. Awesome, awesome. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Rankin Vilecast, and if you want to say hi, drop a line, say we're wrong about our opinions, anything you want, shoot us an email, uh, RankinVilecast at gmail.com. Um, have a wonderful October, y'all. This is the most important time of the year. Kiss a pumpkin, hug a bat. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Later, folks. Thanks, guys.